This podcast was made with Descript. Descript is a groundbreaking new media tool that allows creators to edit audio and video like a text document and create a realistic clone of their own voice for seamless edits. Please check out our Patreon at Asian Hustle Network. We want Asians to continue being meaningful and give back to the Asian community. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to our feature, we hope you become a patron. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Maggie. My name is Brian. And today we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Christina Chi, and she is the founding partner at Domeyard LP, which she had started when she was back at MIT. She is also the CEO of Data Bento. Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. We're very happy you're a part of the show. So we would love to start off and know a little bit more about, you know, your upbringing and, you know, where you were born and, you know, what kind of family were you, did you grow up with? That's an awesome question. So I was actually born in China. Um, When I was three, my family immigrated to Utah uh, in America, for those who aren't familiar, Uh, a really small town in northern Utah. And um, they were they were waiting tables at restaurants, washing dishes and stuff and making a dollar an hour. It wasn't a lot um, even back then. (laughs) And uh, so I grew up uh, relatively poor, I guess. And um, that, you know, you don't really notice that environment, I think, until uh, certain things happen to you and you're surrounded by certain people. And so, um, for instance, like I just remember back then, um, I would have to, after school, um, because I was an only child, uh, I would go to the restaurant after work and like literally just hang out in the restaurant. <laughs> and some people would be like, who is this poor kid? You know, and, um, there'd be older guests who would give me like a quarter so I could buy like, um, you know, those like candy items from the candy machines at the restaurant and stuff. And so just remembering the times when like even a quarter meant so much to me, um, which is ironic because, you know, when, um, these days, my hedge fund, like when we get a $10 million investment, I'm just kind of like, ah, it's just 10 million, you know, like, it's just crazy how (laughs) your life changes. And so I think it affected though, when I was growing up that way, um, I kind of had this weird, um, a wrong impression that pursuing money was what mattered. (laughs) Uh, Just because it just felt like, you know, the more I had, the more I was able to um, accomplish things I wanted to and buy the things I wanted to buy and, you know, very selfish things like that. And so um, pursued money above all else, started the hedge fund um, and really suffered the consequences of, of that as well in terms of realizing, oh, you know, I made it to the top of the totem pole in finance, but not much, <laughs> you know, what have I gained in terms of being happy and um, things like that, you know, just really made me re- reflect on like, is is there more to life than, than money? And there absolutely is. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll, I'll think about actually when I was uh, in preschool as well. Um, one of my core memories from when I was like, you know, four years old was actually, um, I had just moved to America and my parents would pack like, you know, Chinese lunch boxes for me for lunch. And I'm sure this is a story that's heard uh, across a lot of immigrant children, you know, all immigrant children experiences at some point. Mm-hmm. But um, I would bring these lunches and, uh, you know, with like stir fry or shrimp or I don't know, stuff like that. And um, my classmates would be like, ew, you know, typical like uh, gagging reactions. I'm like, ew, what's this? It's gross. It smells bad, you know, <laughs> making fun of my food. And I would throw it away or I would dump it in the trash um, or take it home. And my mom would be like, you didn't eat your food, you know. And I would be like, well, I want, you know, make me french fries and chicken nuggets, right? A lot of kids go through that. Um, And I I demanded french fries and chicken nuggets. And um, and then it's just ironic because I had a scene in in college, actually, um, you know, after getting, I became fully American, whatever, you know, going to college, eating my french fries and chicken nuggets at lunch. And uh, and then I see my friends next to me, they're all eating Chinese food. And I just thought, wow, (laughs) how ironic all my white friends are eating Chinese food. They're taking photos and posting it on Instagram, like it's the coolest thing. And I was, you know, my whole life, I was ashamed of, of my heritage and my food. And I thought about my mom and like how, how bad I felt like, you know, rejecting my parents cooking and, and their love for me and how they expressed mm-hmm. their love, right, was through food. And so, um, yeah, just memories like that, that are kind of bittersweet, but helps you learn your identity and, you know, what you go through as um, shared experiences, I think, that we all kind of go through as kids. <laughs> it, is, it is a very powerful story, too. And I, I myself can relate. You know, my parents also grew up in a very humble background. 
Um, my dad would tell me his hardest job ever was working at a car wash place and wiping down the cars. And, oh my God. and he was, and that's the reason why we, every time I go to a car wash place, we, we would tip the person so much, so much money because like my dad's like, this is the hardest job I ever had. You know, it really humbled me out. Yeah. And that's kind of a similar background that I felt too. You know, mm-hmm. just spending a lot of time sitting around watching my parents do really hard labor, hard labor work because they couldn't speak English that well. And mm-hmm. similar to you, my pursuit out of college was to make a lot of money. And that was the only thing on my mind because I'm like, wow, like, because I think you can relate too because we both lived in the 08 crash where my parents made something then they lost everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's around the time that I was in college. I'm like, oh man, like money will solve all life's problems. Mm-hmm. You know, so very similar after college, I got into software engineering and then real estate. And wow. when I made a certain level of success in, in real estate, my mental health started hurting. Yeah. Because I'm like, wait a minute, why am I suddenly not happy still? Like, what's wrong with me? You know, and you realize yeah. the, best, the best form of happiness is by giving and by yeah. helping mm-hmm. other people. Exactly. I totally relate to that side. My, my question for you is, what was growing up in Utah like? Like, has it shaped your Asian identity? Has it made, you, made it seem like, I want to be more white than Asian? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that we hear stories when the Asian Hustle Network we're only up to our Asian heritage right now. And we're really proud of who we are and where we came from. I wanna, mm-hmm. wanna, so we want to know, like, what kind of effect did that have on you growing up in Utah? Yeah, and on top of that, you know, a lot of Asians in America, they face this identity crisis because mm-hmm. they don't feel like they know their place or, you know, if they belong in America. Because mm-hmm. going back to, you know, let's say China or Asia, they also don't feel in place mm-hmm. there either, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, they have their own culture and like being simulated into America, it's changed you a lot, you know? And so, yeah, I would love to know, you know, how you were able to kind of situate yourself in Utah and, you know, if you ever went through like an identity crisis or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Absolutely. Um, So Utah, my like town's population is 99% white pretty much (laughs) and 99.9% very, very conservative Republican. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the the political leanings and also the beliefs of the people, um, it's very, it's called Mormon country also, um, what Utah's referred to just because it's very religious as well. So, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, growing up in the environment, um, I was affected in certain ways in terms of like, uh, obviously the first thing is never feeling like, um, I quite belonged in certain ways. And I didn't realize it until again, like being like my lunchbox being gagged at, you know, Mm -hmm. or, um, in like, I think in elementary school, um, we were like, there's like a school, uh, play type of thing or like a ballet type of thing that we did mm-hmm. um, and they had that one of the teachers had selected me as one of the main characters in the ballet in the play and um, and then another teacher said no 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 we need you know Claire needs to be white um, because that's who she is traditionally we can't have like a Claire with black hair wow. you know it needs to be like a blonde white girl and I was like I, I didn't realize at the time what that meant I went home told my parents my parents were like wait like that's that's you know wrong and and I was they were upset and I was like okay so I should be upset too you know so just small memories like that where back then when you're so young you don't realize like why am I not in this role why did I get cast and then get not cast again you know and all all these opportunities taken away just because of things like hair color Uh, I did uh, dye my hair blonde for (laughs) the longest time you know I went through that whole um, I guess ABGs what they call it now I went through the whole phase you know red hair blonde hair whatever hair like I did everything to try to fit into that environment Um, so yeah absolutely uh, you know affected the way that I kind of grew up and stuff um, and then had to kind of learn over time to be proud of my culture, my heritage. Um, mm-hmm. What helped a lot was also because I'm an entrepreneur now, you know, going back to China sometimes and doing business in China um, has helped really open a lot of just open my eyes in terms of like even the way that they view me. They're like, oh, she's American. You know, they call me American. <laughs> yeah. And then I in America, they call me Chinese. They're like, you know, go back to, you know, especially during COVID. Right. You probably a lot of people get like or your friends might have gotten like go back to your country or, mm-hmm. you know, microaggressions and stuff like that, too. So, um, yeah, it's uh, definitely an interesting time but uh I don't know how to describe I think it's a constant process you know I'm still constantly trying to find myself um it's not I can't I wish I could constantly or confidently tell you guys like oh yeah I know who I am I know you know like I have a place in this yeah we all do but like I think it's still a constant process and um educational experience for me even you know during this time when um like 
for instance, during the whole Black Lives Matter thing, right? I think that was a big learning experience for everyone here. Like, how do you be an ally? And um, how do you also recognize, yeah, like there is a lot of like, people mentioned black on Asian crime. People mention all these other, oh, what about all the looting? What about all the police? Yeah. You know, what about all the violence on mm-hmm. all sides? Yeah, that's true, you know, but like, how do you be a proper ally and how do you support mm-hmm. your friends through, through all these different things? So um, yeah, those have all been kind of really big learning experiences. And I think we're all kind of, constantly and that's the great thing is you know it's okay to be wrong because it shows that you're learning <laughs> it yeah. shows that you you've changed your mind on things um, you know when I was growing up I'll tell you like in a Mormon country here conservative land you know um, one of my teachers in high school he said okay who you know who is against gay marriage and every single person raised their hand in class because back then uh, this is only 10 years ago you know only 10 years ago people were still very anti um, LGBT you know gay marriage gay rights and now if that same I'm sure if that same teacher asked that question, you know, everyone would be like, oh, I'm, you know, all for gay marriage now. And now our, my high school has an LGBT club. But back then, you know, there was no, they didn't even have cultural clubs or any kind of minority clubs because it just wasn't allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think times are changing, hopefully for the better in, in many different ways, despite all the pushbacks we face constantly. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we do really appreciate, appreciate your honesty too. And yeah. really state that, hey, you're still figuring yourself out and you're still learning, you know, and coming from you and how much you achieve in, you know, in such a short amount of time, that's really amazing to hear that honesty, you know, mm-hmm. you're still learning, you're still growing. Like you can really tell this is just the beginning for you too. Yeah. And we can <laughs> see what you're going to accomplish in the next five, 10 or 20 years from now. <laughs> Definitely. And fast forward a little bit. And so you grew up in Utah and now you're moving on to college, MIT. Like, what was that transition like? Like when you first, oh. you're like, oh my God, I'm leaving Utah. <laughs> this is where I'm going. Like, what was that pressure on you achieving academic success growing mm-hmm. up like through yeah. your parents? And did you know that you wanted to go through, you know, the FinTech route or did your parents have any plans for you? Like, mm-hmm. did they want you to go through a specific route? Because in Asian culture, a lot of our parents, you know, they immigrated here, they want a future for their kids and they have mm-hmm. this set plan. Like you have to be a lawyer, or you have to be a doctor, yeah. right? Did your parents have like a set of plans for you or were you, were they pretty like relaxed and chill about what you wanted to do for your future? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I think they were pretty um, in between, I would say. They're not like the, the crazy tiger mom level of like not letting me have any fun, but yeah. also they were still like, you know, um, don't go totally crazy and, you know, still try to be a good person and do what's right and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe, but like, for a lot of parents in East Asian and other countries in general, I think um, mm-hmm. those cultures where education was like back then for them, right? The only way out of poverty was education. The only way out of poverty is you take a test, they're the Chinese version of the SAT or the Indian version of the SAT, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, and you get like the best grades and then you get into school and then, you know, that's your way out of poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in America, the hardest thing for Asian parents to realize is like, that's not that's like, we don't even have the SAT this year. You know, I think uh, my brother is a junior in high school and they canceled, mm-hmm. like he actually went to the SAT testing site in, I think March mm-hmm. and they all sat down and they were like, guys, this test was, has been canceled by, and then they just all got up and left again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so there's not even an SAT anymore, you know? So like for my parents to be like, Oh my gosh, now, now what? And I'm like, yeah, exactly. You know, college is a lot more holistic here. I, I would hope um, it's becoming a little more holistic and hopefully more fair. I don't know. Um, but you know, it's, it's a different process than um, in other countries. So like for me, I would say, you know, um, I think of what got me into MIT, it's hard to describe, um, but I was really into anime. I still am. <laughs> uh, so I was really into anime growing up. I did a lot of cosplay and I did write a lot of my essays on um, doing cosplay, being kind of weird. Um, I was a homecoming candidate for my high school and um, I represented science club so every candidate has a club that they represent and um so I had the science club sash but then instead of wearing a dress I wore like a lab coat (laughs) and I had like goggles and like a beaker (laughs) and I looked super nerdy basically like you know just kind of not caring and and so just wrote a bunch of essays on like you know like that's that's okay and I think um all the moms there's a lot of pageant moms in Utah and they were really upset seeing me go down the the walk down the aisle like that (laughs) when their daughters were all dressed in like you know fancy dresses and stuff um Mm -hmm. but all the emo kids were really proud of me they're like oh my god look at you know all rebellious <laughs> kids um so, <laughs> just experiences like that i think um were very um eye-opening to me but also hopefully helped me in a sense to um i think i got in because of that because afterwards one of the admissions counselors like, oh yeah you're the girl who wore the lab beaker down they remembered my essay <laughs> so um 
but anyway, so getting in was, it, is totally different from, it's, it's a lottery, right? And that's why I say to everybody, like, you apply to wherever you can, but like, if you don't get in, look, it's not the end of the world, right? Like I have, I'm the only one in my family who's ever gone to like a good school. My other, like my parents went to state school, Utah State University, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's great. And they had a really good life and a really good path for them mm-hmm. opened as well. Um, and so it just doesn't matter. Like it's, um, I know a lot of parents stress that all the time that you must get in Harvard, but like, to be honest, like I have friends who go to Harvard and they totally fail at life. So <laughs> not, not saying that they're failures, but just they're not happy. Right. And I think right. that's, that's an indicator indicator of like um success in a certain way so yeah um anyway so then getting into MIT getting out of MIT was more difficult in terms of like I I was a failure student um by all means in terms of um my first exam in MIT was physics I got a 21.5 (laughs) percent which is like really you know in high school you're used to getting like 80s and 90s or whatever and then I got 21 percent and uh, my friends, I remember one of my um, white friends down the hallway, he's like, you got a 21%. I'm like, I got 21.5%. Like, <laughs> I was so angry. <laughs> um, just barely making it through. And then uh, on that same white friend, he introduced me to Boba, like, uh, you know, bubble tea, Boba, which I had never heard of. Uh, yes. yeah. <laughs> Utah. Yeah. Again, growing up in the middle of the countryside. So um, yeah, he, his, he was like, you never, how, how are you even Asian? You know, <laughs> I don't know. Never heard of it before. Um, and so, and then I had Korean food for the first time, Indian food for the first time, you know, mm. Ethiopian food and it's in everything in Boston. So it was just uh really eye-opening experience. Um, I was a mediocre major. I declared um, the easiest major at MIT, which was called management science. (laughs) And uh, yeah, everyone's like, what's that? And I'm like, I I don't know how to explain it either, guys. So, you know, um, you just take, it's a couple of like introductory accounting, finance, and like marketing basically all combined into like operations management. Um, But anyway, so I barely, um, barely was able to graduate and uh, felt really lucky for that. And then um, yeah, and that, that was about it. But, you know, it's like once you enter school, it doesn't mean that your life is all set at a good college. It's like I still have to work my ass off. Sorry for swearing. Work my butt off. <laughs> and um, I had to, to really go through a lot during that time uh, and really didn't think I would get a job or anything um, mm-hmm. out of school. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. That's amazing. It sounds yeah. like you did a lot of self-discovery during yeah. that time, too, in terms of, like, discovering other Asian cultures as well. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 And you would love to know, you know, we know that you started Dome Yard while you were back at MIT. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious to know, you know, how that idea transpired and, you know, we know that it started in your dorm room, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we hear, you know, stories of that, you know, ideas transpiring in your dorm room and you've been working on Dome Yard ever since that time. You know, I would love to know, like, how the idea came about and were you working with other people on that? Um, you know, how did this all, you know, transpire? Yeah, that's a great, uh, great question. So like, I feel like ideas come from like good ideas come from bad experiences for the most part. And so, you know, I wish I could just tell you, oh, I just had this genius idea that just came up and then I decided to hustle and do it. And the reality is actually I had a really bad, really, really bad experience. That was an internship at a big financial bank (laughs) on Wall Street. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was kind of like, I guess when people ask what it was like, it's like Wolf of Wall Street, uh, but like in modern times. uh, And Mm -hmm. I was, um, we, I worked like 15, 16 hours a day, usually like I was a zombie in terms of like my social life <laughs> and my like mental health. I didn't really have much time for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, they made me, they called me the, uh, there's only two women interns. That was the other tough part was like, there's two female interns and they would call me the coffee girl. Cause my job was to grab coffee every day and pay for it by myself. I had to pay out of my own money, grab coffee for whoever wanted on the team, you know, do the rounds every day for coffee two or three times a day. Uh, and then they call me the, they call me the shitty coffee girl. Sorry for the, that. Literally what they called me is the wow. bad coffee girl, the shitty coffee girl, because the other girl was better than me at grabbing coffee. And I was like, Oh my gosh, they're really going to put us against each other and make the two girls like the the enemy, you know, try to pair us against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's in my book that I'm writing as well, by the way, about um, my experience, because um, they really tried to put us and make us into enemies <laughs> by making us grab coffee and do all these competitive things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we ended up becoming really good friends. <laughs> so I was really <laughs> grateful for that. But um, yeah, so I had that experience. And then during my final internship presentation, um, well, first off, throughout the internship, my boss's boss, um, not my direct boss, but the boss above him was really abusive to me. Like, um, he would sometimes like grab my shoulder and be like, don't talk to me ever again, you know, um, um because I always got on his bad side for various reasons. Um, 
like I had to say good morning to everyone who walked through the door because I sat next to the door. And one morning, you know, he noticed, he's like, you sound like fake. You need to like cheer up, you know, be like a better cheerleader for the team. And I was like, like, no, I don't owe you any smiles, you know? And he was really upset by my reaction, which I understand, like I was a bad intern, but um, anyway, so then at the last day of the internship, I presented my final presentation and his response was, and I'm saying, I don't want to swear, but he basically said, what the F was that? <laughs> he, that was a response after I, I had spent the whole summer preparing this and I had run it through my, my boss and other people on the team. And it was this boss's boss that he was just so angry at me. Um, and then he like started yelling at my boss and stuff during the presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I um, just, I started gagging. So <laughs> it was like, I started like having this gag reflex and I was like, shit, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> and so I like run out of the room. I'm like throwing up in a trash can. <laughs> and like, that's how traumatized I was from that whole like experience. So anyway, I, after that, um, I was known as the girl who threw up on her boss during the, <laughs> during like the summer internship in, in wall street. And then, mm-hmm. um, I was totally lost. I didn't, I couldn't find a job. Um, other people who I interviewed at other companies, they would be like, Oh yeah, I heard about you. And I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> I know how they heard about me. It was probably cause word spread around that. There was an intern that was really bad. And so, um, anyway, then, um, I decided, well, you know, why not just trade on my own? And so, you know, nothing else to do. Um, we're tra- I was trading, German markets at like 2 a.m. going to class during the day. And this was my senior year and decided, well, you might as well just make this into a real company. Um, It's not like I had much else to do anyway with my life at that point. And I felt completely lost and confused, to be honest, and felt like nobody wanted me on Wall Street. So, um, yeah, so I guess it's like these ideas, you know, if I had looked at also the stats um, about like hedge funds or startups, right? Like startups rarely succeed. I think it's like less than 10% or something. And for hedge funds, it's even like lower. <laughs> like these things rarely succeed. Um, and if I had d- did the analysis, I would never have started it. <laughs> but it's kind of like, I think when you start a company, when you start an idea, you're driven by passion, right? It's like, it's just like what wakes you up in the morning. And even if you know, you're not going to succeed, if you know, you don't, you don't know that your future really, you don't know your fate, but like, even so it's like, so long as you wake up and you're excited and you're, you're pumped to go to work, right? Like that's the feeling that I, I craved. And for the first time I had that feeling by starting my own company. <laughs> um, and so I just kind of went from there and, um, you know, made a bunch of a uh, ton of mistakes, which I talk about in the book, but also, um, did a couple of two or three things that were right, <laughs> I would say. And then those things I did right, hopefully helped in terms of growing the fund into kind of the, the $7 billion, you know, trading volume fund that we do now. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but it was a long kind of, uh, stressful process throughout <laughs> exciting and stressful yeah i'm yeah. really sorry to hear about your experience yeah you know? it's, i'm really happy that you turned a negative into a positive yeah. mm-hmm. and that you kind of sort of kept the positive mindset throughout everything that's going bad you know right instead of just beating yourself on it oh maybe i'm not fit for this world and just giving up right there you didn't give up you look for a different way to succeed you <laughs> <Exactly>. know <laughs> uh, i think yeah yeah, I think every bad situation is always something positive that comes out of it. And, and it also makes more sense looking back now. I had these things never happened. Mm-hmm. You won't be where you are right now. And have you, have you been that great intern? You're probably in Wall Street right now. <laughs> you know? You're, you're probably just as wealthy still, but you'll be... <laughs> but you've been Wall Street working with someone else. Yeah. yeah I think so my, oh, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say like in my book, uh, I do talk about cause um, the other girl during my internship, she was more like, she was known as the goody two shoes on the team. She mm-hmm. was like perfect and grabbed coffee. And then she took over my coffee duties eventually cause I was so bad at my job. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she ended up doing very well. So she got her traditional job on wall street. Um, and I've had a lot of, and we became really good friends, thankfully. So like throughout time, um, we've had a lot of ironic experiences. Like I'll tell you one bad decision I made and how it relates to her, which is really funny, um, Mm -hmm. which was uh, throughout, like when we first started the company, I was like, okay, well, I want our hedge fund to have the same culture as like Google or Facebook, which is, you know, like you imagine like slides in their office and like beautiful map rooms and primary colors and like, I don't know, free food, right? All the perks and stuff that you guys Mm -hmm. have out West. Uh, And so uh, I did that and um, we decided let's, be flat. Let's call everyone a partner in the company. Partners yeah. like in finance, the highest title you can possibly have basically, mm-hmm. um, unless you want like managing partner or something. I don't know, but partner is already extremely high. Um, so we called everyone a partner, including myself. I just went by, I used to just go by the partner title. 
Um, and uh, then what happened was we had a couple of employees who abused this or tried to abuse the policy. So like, um, for instance, we hired someone who is an office manager. Um, her job is just literally clean the office, clean the kitchen, clean the sink, you know, organize the space, uh, get some supplies, you know, all the basic stuff, right? And uh, she came to me and she's like, well, you know, I want a promotion. And also, can you give me the title of managing partner? What? And I was like, wait, I, you know, I'm a partner, right? And I started this company and, uh -huh. and she was like, yeah, but like, you know, I, I still want this promotion. And like, I noticed I'm being paid a lot less than the software engineers, you know, can you raise my salary? Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, yeah, you know, maybe like, if you work hard and write me these goals, we'll give you 70,000, 70,000, right? And she was like, 70,000 per month? And I was like, really like no per year right um but she was expecting like half a million dollar salary to clean the office and wow. to, um and she wanted managing partner um so we had a couple of employees who were like that as well who wanted like even better titles of like managing partner so i i, I told her no uh you uh -huh. know and she was really upset and obviously left the company um pretty sh like shortly after um but then that night i went home and i talked to um lexi who was my my uh, friend of me during the internship process and she was working or she's already working at a big bank and doing really well. And she's like, Christina, guess what? I got promoted to associate <laughs> like she went from analyst to associate. And she was so happy and I was so happy and we like celebrated and I was so happy for her. And you know, she's like drinking and whatever. Um, and she was so ironic because the difference of like working on wall street, it's like analyst, associate, VP, director, manager, director, partner, you know, partners like up here. Right. Mm -hmm. And that same day, like literally our office manager was telling me I want managing partner and the <laughs> irony of the, the experiences of doing that and the mistakes I made, you know, those are, it's my own fault at the end of the day as a manager for not setting the right kind of culture, you know, with those, mm -hmm. with my own uh, company and my employees. So, um, so I do, you know, blame myself for those types of behaviors and, um, mm -hmm. but absolutely crazy stuff that happens. Um, and the difference of, you know, uh, if I had taken the wall street path, maybe I would today be, I'm lucky a VP. I think I'd be very lucky to be a VP. Um, but you know, <laughs> the, the difference again of like, Oh, now, you know, people in my company are like, you know, they don't even want to be a partner anymore. Like, <laughs> so we actually, we ended up getting rid of titles, um, or no, sorry, getting rid of the partner title and mm -hmm. giving people proper titles like software engineer or, mm -hmm. you know, VP or whatever. So like that way people, um, you know, feel like it's more appropriate for their job basically. <laughs> Seems like there were a lot of learning lessons, you know, and it's all perspective, right? Like your friend who went from analyst to associate seems like she was very grateful for that position for that, you know, that, that escalation. And so I love seeing those different perspectives. Yeah, um, I definitely do want to hear more about like, what your mental health was like, mm -hmm. you're going to your internship. It's one topic that, you know, as Asians, we don't really talk about that topic at all mm -hmm, it's actually yeah. slipped under the rug remember i talked to my mom before telling her i was extremely unhappy as a software engineer mm -hmm. she's like son we try so hard for us to come to america do you want to wipe down cars with your dad <laughs> you know? he's like i was like uh okay you're right and then she just we just slipped under the rug but yeah. like your, your time to plan it kind of got to me you know i wasn't happy you know, I actually major in engineering because at that time the way i saw it was getting out of poverty quickly without much schooling left i was like oh yeah engineering engineers make like 150 200k a year in silicon valley mm -hmm. i'm gonna move there and make that help of money and I, I never realized how, how much i hated my job oh you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know what i mean and also like i think in Asia, the asian stereotype is like mental health doesn't exist in <laughs> india any country out down there you know but it's so true though it's uh, something that a lot of folks unfortunately don't recognize and and yeah. thus you know like suicide and stuff like that happens as a result because people yeah. don't know how to take care of themselves which is mm -hmm. yeah um, i'm glad that you know it's talked about a lot more these days even in america like i think growing up there's a meme i saw on some one of those groups on facebook that was like saying how you know like um 20 years ago right people would be like guys guess what like you know like she's seeing a therapist you know like, like a bad thing yeah. yes we talk about that all the time and like you know there's such a bad connotation for someone to see a therapist mm -hmm. but we honestly feel that it shows a strength of like a power or strength 
that you are seeing therapists to improve on yourself, right? Mm-hmm. I think back then it's like very it, people saw it as like something bad, right? Yeah. Like, oh, right. do you do yeah. any practices for your mental health? Do you meditate? Yeah. Do you talk to your friends? Do you call your mom? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I think for me the best therapy is definitely um, trying to talk to, well, talking to friends, and even just like posting on Facebook or um, LinkedIn, especially Facebook. Like my darkest moments, I posted on Asian Hustle Network too. Moments when I felt like I was being discriminated against because of something like gender or race or age. Mm-hmm. Um, when I post about it and people either, you know, they offer either tough love, which I deserve <laughs> or advice like, Hey, I've been through that too. And you know, here's what you can do next time. And so, um, mm-hmm. even just empathy of like, I'm sorry you went through that, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, it helps so much to just know that you're not alone or that people are listening and there for you when, when you need them to be. And so, um, I really do, you know, appreciate that. So my experience of starting the fund, uh, it did, it did come with a bunch of, um, I guess, both physical and mental health issues, unfortunately. Um, I think the biggest one was I uh, developed PTSD from a variety of experiences with investors. Um, mm-hmm. I'll tell you some funny investors I met. Maybe this will help give you guys a sense of the, the world of billionaires here. So all of our investors, um, a lot of them are billionaires, basically. And um, uh, I've, I've met all kinds of um, crazies, I guess. Um, one of them was one of the richest guys in Asia. He's in Hong Kong. And this was like, I just started the fund. I was living in a shack, like sleeping on a couch in Boston. Like I was dirt poor, didn't have any money. Uh, and this guy flew me out to Hong Kong in his private jet and then had a chauffeur like with me the entire time. And he put me on the top floor of the Ritz Carlton. It's like 150th floor of like this building. And I was in this huge suite and I was like, Oh my God, I was like hyperventilating. Like, what is going on? And I took a bunch of snapchats. I sent all my friends like, you guys, like, this because for me, that was unbelievable. And then, um, then he had dinner. We had dinner downstairs in, like in one of the restaurants at the hotel and he brought his wife and daughter. And I was like, wait, I thought this was like a business meeting, you know, between the two of us, maybe some of your colleagues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he's like, oh, no, no, no. Like, um, you know, I, I just want you to give my daughter advice on how to get into Harvard. <laughs> and I was like, wait, so you're investing $10 million into my fund? Uh-huh. Not because you think we're going to succeed, but because you, you want, you want me as a woman role model for your daughter, who's <laughs> 13 years old or whatever. I was like, Oh my, I couldn't even, <laughs> how, do I, how do I respond? You know, so I didn't know what to do. Fancy dinner, you know, we all this like food and stuff. And then afterwards that night, so then I was like, I mean, I talked to the chauffeur guy cause he was just sticking with me the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I, he was like, Christina, you're so lucky, you know, to, to do this and to be able to, you know, be here and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but you're so lucky too. You know, you're, you work for the richest billionaire in Asia. And he was like, oh no, 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 no. Like, uh, I, I'm not, I was born into it. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Whoa. And he said, okay, um, I'm the bastard son of Leonard, who was the, who's the billionaire guy. And I was like, what? <laughs> so he's the bastard son of the, the, the investor. Right. Um, and he's like, yeah, my job is to serve Leonora, who's the daughter, the main daughter who was at the dinner. Um, so wow. she's like the main line, the main family line. And he's like one of the, the branches. And I'm like, is this like Game of Thrones? <laughs> <laughs> What is happening? Like a modern day. And he's like, yeah, I never went to, they never put me in school. I never had proper education. Like I'm, you know, like I was like, you're a modern day slave. Like that's what it is. You know, it's like modern day game of Thrones level, like craziness here going on. And you know, like those are the types of people who I met through my experience. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and then, so that was fine. But then one of the investors I met, um, I still don't know like how much I'm allowed to reveal about this kind of stuff because there's a lot right. of stuff still going on. But um, anyway, one of our investors was Jeffrey Epstein, um, and so you guys all and I can say this because he's dead now, so like <laughs> I don't get I don't can't get sued by him by his ghost. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, he had uh, he had come after me um, when I had given his name to the FBI at one point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so I had some really bad experiences there, and uh, so developed a bunch of mental health issues. I think as a result of being you know. I was paranoid. I was anxious. Um, and you know, just all kind of, we were sued by a lot of our investors, not a lot, sorry, a, a couple of our investors that who were kind of bad people like that. Um, yeah. And so, you know, but I am really lucky today to be away from all that. Like, um, I've survived the lawsuits. I've survived all the FBI stuff. I'm free and clear. I've never gotten into any trouble. I've never been arrested. I've never like had anything like that happen, but I've gotten close. <laughs> um, and that getting so close to that and wondering if I would get arrested, you know, was definitely 
um, a traumatic experience, but seeking help again, like rec even my colleagues recognize, Christina, you look like, sh you know, crap, <laughs> go and get some help and, you know, get, take some rest and um, do what's best for you. Um, that's been really nice too. I think also quarantine has been good for me in terms of, I mean, good and bad, right? It's bad for everyone, but pivotal for everyone, I guess, but good mm -hmm. in a sense that you really get to reflect on like, okay, well, you know, what do I really want to do in my life? <laughs> um, what do I really care about? What are my values and what do I want to do after this is all over? Um, mm -hmm. So that's, it's just been such a great time to be able to reflect and um, mm -hmm. have some time for myself. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we read your, your, your post, your Facebook post on the Asian Hustle Network Facebook group. And, you know, I, I can see that it inspired a lot of people. You talked about, you know, all those days where you were super stressed out and mm. getting sued. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs go through speed bumps like that, but yours is like next level, you know, that fear of going to jail, mm. it must be extremely scary. Um, you know, also I remember in your post on AHN, you talked about, you know, the gender inequality, right? Mm. And you were about to give your speech um, at a, an event, but someone had told you to clear their plate. Right. Wow. And, you know, this also goes back to when you were at your internship where you were called a coffee girl. You know, I, I think if someone I'm glad were, you showed them up there. <laughs> I think if someone <laughs> were to be called that today, like that would create such a fire, you know, but yeah. this was a while back. And so my question is, were you, you know, facing any challenges as a female in this industry? And, you know, how were you able to respond to those, you know, challenges and mm -hmm. those remarks and comments like that? You want to hear more about your nonprofit investing to invest in girls as well. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, there's, there's everything, every kind of ism, racism, ageism, you know, sexism, yeah. they're all pretty prominent um, in pretty much every industry. And, um, and one of the things you kind of learn about is how to deal with that when it happens. And so, mm -hmm. um, for me, like if I, I've learned, um, especially through my colleagues, like if I dwell on these negative thoughts, which I tend to do, by the way, <laughs> I tend to like be very sensitive. So I dwell on negative thoughts all the time and let it like really trigger me down into this path of depression. And I try my best to be mm -hmm. like, you know what, like it already happened. I just teach them a lesson, get it over with and that's it. Right. So, um, I'll give you another example, like besides the waitress story, which, um, that story actually how it ended was, um, after I gave my speech, that person, um, came out, like, uh, found me again, um, after the talk and was like, wow, you know, I'm so sorry that like, I will never do that ever again. And they were super apologetic. Um, they're like, let me treat you to dinner. I was like, don't, don't worry about that. Right. Just promise me you're not going to do that again. Right. And that you've learned your lesson here clearly. So, um, so at least like that person learned by just, he's like, I've just never seen a minority woman on stage, you know, I'm sorry, you know, and I was like, that's, that's fine. Pattern recognition. We all have pattern recognition, right? Like we all have our own biases, like kids, there's studies on like four-year-old kids who have biases of like us versus them based on what they see. So like um, my bias was like growing up, um, I'm a bad driver. My mom's a bad driver. So I thought all Asian women are bad drivers, <laughs> you know? And then when I get it, it was when I got an Uber driver for the first time, I who's a woman, I was like, oh no, like she's going to be so slow. I need to get to the airport, you know? And, and she was great. She was fast. And I was like, oh, maybe I've been just biased my entire life. And I've just never, I rarely see a female Uber driver. So I just never really knew um, mm -hmm. so those biases come across everywhere in life, including for myself. And, you know, I just learned to correct them over time and, and that's fair and fine. Um, so yeah, it, it does happen um, quite a bit. Like I had a, we were interviewing a board member as well a couple of years ago for a board seat in our fund. Um, and this guy's like CEO of a big company. And so he came in and he said, um, he was like on a call and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm meeting with these kids right now. Like I'll, I'll call you back later. Uh, and he called us kids <laughs> and it was very subtle, but, and he kept on saying stuff like, oh, you kids are so smart these days or, you know, whatever it is. And he means them as compliments, but, um, right. to me, they're more like microaggressions because, yeah. um, calling you, cause he's, first off, I'm, I'm, I'm the chair of the board in this situation. I'm not his daughter, you know, I'm the chair of the board and I'm interviewing him for a position and he's calling me a kid, his interviewer, a kid, you know, and there were so many other things he could have called me, including by my name, <laughs> which he didn't. Uh, and I just thought, wow. And so I, I said something like, um, he said, you kids are so smart these days. I'm like, thanks dad. And it, he was like, whoa, whoa, you know, and it made him realize, oh crap, sorry, that just slipped out of my mouth. I didn't realize I was calling you that, you know, I was like, yeah, exactly. You know, um, I'm the chair of the board. You can just call me Christina. That's fine. <laughs> you know, but, um, other, you know, it depends on the context as well. Like if it was my dad's colleagues, friend, right. And we're at a social event, like, sure, you can call me a kid. I get it. You know, I'm my dad's kid and whatever, but, um, 
if it's at an event where I'm, I'm an interviewer here, like, you know, right. that kind of stuff is totally um, inappropriate during an interview. So, mm-hmm. um, or like, what else was there? Um, oh, I got another one I get is like, uh, your parents must be so proud of you. <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever get that. Like, it's usually said towards young people who they think. Uh, we really get that a lot, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like on a daily basis nowadays. Yeah. I think yeah. in their perspective, they don't mean any harm. But yeah. then in a sense, it is a little bit belittling, you know? Like, if it's in a business setting, like, why can't we be on the same level just talking to each other as, like, yeah. partners, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I get that a lot, too. Um, it was really sad because for my co-founder's dad had just died. Um, and so for him to hear, oh, your parents must be so proud of you. He was like, yeah, don't say that. Right. Like, you don't know if I have parents and he doesn't get along with one side of his family. So, you know, you don't, you can't just assume that we all have parents who we get along with and who are proud. Some of our parents aren't proud of us for being an entrepreneur, (laughs) you know? So that was another thing that really, so I'd be like, thanks, Dale, your parents must be proud of you too, you know, and he kind of makes Dale do like a double take. Okay, maybe I shouldn't say that anymore. Um, but just kind of using humor along the way, uh, or like if they ask you, a lot of um, our investors are old school money. And uh, they're like, Oh, where are you from? Where are you? Oh, I've been to China once, you know, the, the usual, like, kind of uh, pattern of where are you from? Right. And I'll be like, Oh, cool. Where are you from? You know, I'll be like, Oh, yeah, I've, I've been to Switzerland, you know, once or twice. And uh, <laughs> I love, you know, your food and your culture. And just kind of make the same types of comments back. And uh, yeah, just see how they react. Maybe they're proud of it, too. And I'm like, Okay, if they're happy about it, then I'll be happy about it, too. You know? Um, but yeah, just kind of keeping an open mind and having a sense of humor about stuff. Um, yeah. makes my job a lot uh, better, I would say, in terms of the people I deal with on a, on a daily basis yeah. i'm glad you found different ways to keep yourself amused in these these type of situations mm-hmm. you know a lot of microaggressions microaggressions out there that you can either deal with it you know you can either take it personally or you don't mm-hmm. you know because you have to understand like what is your intention behind this like is it negative mm-hmm. is it positive or just yeah. they're just ignorant <laughs> you know and that's that's yeah. it's gonna be a common theme that i feel like won't go away for a long time Exactly. I mean, I still get bothered by it. It's not like, I wish I could just tell you, oh, I get over it easily like everyone else does. I don't. I mean, I still, sometimes I screenshot a message and I'll post on my Facebook, like, look what this guy said. And people be like, wow, what an asshole or whatever. Sorry, I keep swearing. But you know what I mean? Like, you know, there's sensitive conversations like that, that I I do have with my friends as well, where I just open up to them and and it helps me a lot um, to just cope with, uh, Mm-hmm. issues where um you know i don't want to face them alone sometimes and i need someone to pull me up out of bed and be like you got this you know and, and that's okay uh, and i'll do that for my friends any day as well if someone needs me to be there for them and to help them navigate some kind of situation like that so yeah <laughs> yeah so we obviously we know that you're extremely successful you know just give you guys some perspective how successful christina really is i think last the last podcast we listened to was last year and you said you're making a billion dollars in trade per day. Has that number increased since a year ago? <laughs> yeah. So we are, we've, we're at 7.1 right now wow. per day. So That's yeah, um, we got very, you know, again, like it's a combination of luck and skill, right? Being mm-hmm. in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, if it wasn't for those initial investors I met, including that crazy guy from Hong Kong, <laughs> right like I I definitely wouldn't be here with those um, even those small investments you know I I call it small they were big to me at the time (laughs) Um, but let's just like you know with those investments it kind of compounds over time and um, definitely feel very lucky to to have this chance and and it is true that they gave me that chance to succeed you know so I am grateful to them for that but definitely on other things like um, when it came down to like even Black Lives Matter I sent an email to our investors about urging them to, you know, rethink their HR processes, you know, things that are very reasonable, right? Like I don't, they don't need a quota, just get rid of biases in your hiring process, right? And stop asking discriminatory questions to people during the hiring. Like that's easy to do for anyone. And I got a lot of backlash (laughs) from investors, which I was just so disappointed on, but just people being like, oh, you know, like racism doesn't exist anymore. We're in 2020, Um. you know, Comments that, you know, we all know from our personal experience as Americans that we've experienced it firsthand, but they don't because, well, duh, you're a billionaire. You've been born into wealth. Like you're Mm -hmm. from, you know, we get people from the Carnegie families, from the Schwartzman family, like all the big, you know, families. And uh, I get it. You know, you're born into that. And so you don't see it, um, but we do. So it's, it's something that's really hard for me to kind of educate and tell, but um, 
absolutely, um, you know, that success, uh, again, it's not a, a solo project type of thing. Mm -hmm. That success that, you know, I've experienced is just, it's owed to everyone around me, including my friends who dragged me out of bed um, mm -hmm. <laughs> during like the worst days of my life and yeah. <laughs> who support me, you know, when I was interrogated by the FBI, I went home crying that day uh, mm -hmm. and felt depressed for like a whole week after because I knew they were after me. I just didn't know what they were trying to get and I didn't know how I was in trouble when I did wrong. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. um, and so just having friends who trusted me, believed my story, believed that I was innocent and that I didn't do anything wrong, you know, that meant a lot because it's true that no one had any information. I didn't know what I did wrong. <laughs> so um, yeah, just even that kind of stuff, having people around you um, just mm -hmm. really... Uh, really meant the world to me, including Asian Hustle Network. I remember I posted my first post in Asian Hustle Network was when I was complaining about um, there was an investor who I think either I think tried to like reschedule my phone call like six or seven times and I was in the hospital um, and just kind of treated me like crap um, mm -hmm. during the entire time. And I took a call at 6 a.m. for them in the hospital and they ghosted me. They didn't even take the call. Wow. And I was so upset because I had gone through so much and through so many hurdles for them. And, mm. you know, they had treated me like crap and um, lots of random behaviors like that. And I discovered it's because I'm a woman, you know, and I just mm. didn't like that feeling. So, yeah, you know, having a group like um, AHN has been uh, a huge part of this as well. So I'm, I'm super grateful to you guys. Yeah. Have yeah, you too. We're very grateful to have you. Yeah. I love how open and transparent you are. And you know, the whole situation about, you know, the social climate and we face similar you know, issues within AHN as well. I think mm -hmm. right now, a lot of people's emotions are very high and strong right now. Yeah, a lot of angry messages all the time. <laughs> yeah, and so whatever <laughs> you say, whatever you put out into the world yeah. during this time, you know, you're bound to get some people who disagree with you mm -hmm. and with the whole Black Lives Matter movement, you know, we always feel that it's better to say something than to be silent. Exactly. Um, mm -hmm. As soon as we say something, you know, there's always going to be people like, oh, they looted our stores and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Why are you mm -hmm. Um, we're really yeah. determined what we think is right yeah. and wrong. Like yeah. the people that we kind of wear our emotions on our face yeah. a lot, but yeah. we feel like a certain way. We have to take action. Not we can't sit back and just be mm -hmm. silent about this, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I'm kind of curious too because um, you did come from a very humble background. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people look at you right now and be like, "Wow, she must be born some sort of superpower, or she's, you know, she has some God-given, you know, knowledge or strength or whatnot." But we all know like success is built on small actions every single day. Mm -hmm. How do you view success and failure? And this is really important for our listeners to hear too, because a lot of people, when they hit a speed bump, they just give up. <laughs> you know? It's not like yeah. in your career path, you hit a lot of speed bumps yeah. and yet you never gave up. Mm -hmm. so how do you view a success and failures? I think um, in college, I had a friend who said something that was really inspiring to me. Um, he told me like, success is the number of hours you can afford to play video games during the day. And I was like, oh, that's a really great point. Like, um, you know, it's like the number of hours you can afford to truly do what you really want to do mm -hmm. during the day without suffering consequences or guilt or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that's such a great point um, because, you know, if you're like, I have friends who work in investment banking for 40 years, you know, 18 hour days, and they never really had a life. And then they look back and they're like, what have I done? You know, I couldn't really do the things I, I wanted to travel, never got to travel. You know, I wanted to have kids, never got to have kids, right? Or do those things that they wanted to do. Um, and I realized, wow, that's that's a great point because even though they made a lot of money, um, you know, have they really achieved success? I don't know, right? And same with me as well. Like, okay, maybe I've made a lot of money, but have I really gotten to do the things I really want to do kind of yes and no it depends <laughs> um, but there's still a lot of things on my bucket list of like places I want to go people I want to meet that I haven't really gotten to do yet um, or friends I want to take care of you know that I haven't gotten to do that um, that I really want to do during the day so I think definitely um, I still have a long ways to go there but uh, and I was gonna say actually what you said about you know the whole Black Lives Matter movement, you guys made such a great point about, you know, it's, it's tough to stay silent, right, during this time. And I think it's good to speak up. Um, the other thing I did want to talk about that was, um, you know, you, you can support a movement without supporting 100% of every part of the movement, right? And I think that's really important to understand. Um, same with like, uh, you know, there's a lot of other political issues, right? Like, I don't know, like LGBT stuff, LGBT movement. Yeah, you can support like the movement without having to support every single you know, organization out there or every single part of that movement um, who some of them are on different parts of, you know, um, the political spectrum or whatever it is, right? And like, that's fine. You don't have to support every single one of it. And, and that's okay. So I think that was really important for people to distinguish because like, 
uh, you know, maybe for instance, like someone like me, I don't support small businesses being looted because they're small businesses that are owned by immigrants, right? And <laughs> just is so non-American to, to me personally. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't support the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole, right? And so, so yeah, that was, um, and also I was gonna also tell you guys, like I feel like moderation is a thankless job. <laughs> you guys have such a, an amazing and thankless job and I'm so grateful that you guys are here to, you know, comment on every post, support everybody through this process and uh, to support everyone's ups and downs through their own individual journeys. Like um, I'm, I can't even tell you how much your, your comments mean a lot to me, but also mean a lot to everyone in the group as well. So, so thank you for, from the bottom of my heart, and I'm sure from everyone else, like, you know, your job is very important. It's thankless. Um, people will always cr complain and criticize, but that's the whole point is, you know, to get people to talk. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you. Well, I, w I just wanted to say thank you for, you know, doing the honors of sharing your story because, you know, we're trying to break that mental barrier within mm -hmm. the Asian culture. And, in the beginning, it was very hard for Asians to share their stories. And like yeah, a lot of people, <laughs> I, you know, Brian and I talk about this all the time. And, you know, there would be people who said, oh, if you had $50,000, how would you, you know, use that money or how would you invest it? Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people said, you know, if I told you my idea, well, how do I know you're not going to steal it? You know, yeah. and that was the whole mental barrier that we were trying to break through. And just, you know, having you, Christina, share your story mm -hmm. and being so open and transparent with, you know, putting that story out there and allowing, you know, 60,000 members to see it, that means a lot to us. That's, that's a huge props to you too, yeah. because I share my story with 300 people. I couldn't sleep that night. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I was like, man, I'm the first story to share? All right, I'll do it. Yeah, that's amazing. Share it to like 60,000 people right now. And, you know, we do this because it's not about making money or making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. We do this because we want to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. you know, we do this because we feel like there's a need for us to own up to our heritage for now to really make a difference. You know, yeah. it's not the money resources like this out there at all. Yeah. You, know, we you guys are already doing that. You're already <laughs> making such a big difference out there. So yeah, really kudos to you guys for, for all that work and stuff. Um, I know you guys, uh, you mentioned the point about competition, which I thought was interesting. And yeah. um, my personal view on that is like, we actually befriend our competition. <laughs> That's like the one thing that again, like, you know, competition, if it keeps you up at night, then just be, become friends with them. Everyone's yeah. human at the end of the day my biggest competition, my biggest rivals in the hedge fund industry, you know, we're all really good friends now. And I think that's awesome because when, um, when they go through trouble, I help them. When I go through trouble, they help me. And, um, so that's just been just such an incredible barrier. Once I kind of went through that mental barrier in my head and realized it's okay to have competition. It's, and it's a good thing to have competition in fact. Um, mm -hmm. and even though on a daily basis, we might trade against each other sometimes, <laughs> you know, or do things against each other in the markets at least. Um, but we know at the end of the day, let's grab a drink, let's relax and, mm -hmm. and just um, chill and talk about our day, you know, and, and that's, that's okay too. So um, yeah, life is too short to, you know, be worried about that kind of stuff. Just like, yeah, um, yeah going for your ideas and, and just doing it is um, the best thing to do out there. <laughs> How do you want to make the world a better place and what kind of legacy do you want to leave like the next in your lifetime? Yeah, I guess, um, you know, for me, I'd always wanted to basically help, um, the community around me uh, and you know it doesn't necessarily mean to eliminate you know eliminating poverty or disease right those are group those are country you know uh, cross nationwide efforts right that are really big but I was thinking like even if I can make one person's life better if I can just inspire one person to um, to choose a good career path or to you know find a better um, solution to a problem they're looking for whatever it is like uh, I think that's all that really matters to me is just um you know, making sure that uh, someone's life is better uh, because they had read my story or because they had heard about this person who was in the hedge fund industry, <laughs> you know, um, that's, that's what I really care about these days. Um, I do like to help um, a lot of underrepresented minority groups and women, especially in terms of, um, so like, you know, I'm the chair of the board of Invest in Girls, which is a nonprofit. So we help um, high school girls give them financial literacy education and bridge the gap because a lot of um, boys get that education, but, and they learn how to trade on Robin hood, you know, in college. Right. But a lot of girls don't do that. Like it's just something, not something that a lot of girls do at that age. And so um, just kind of making sure we can teach um, people how to have the financial skills and to have that freedom and independence to manage their own money um, is really important as well. So, yeah, so we do stuff like that. Um, that's been really great. I think, uh, so now that um, I've actually in the process of stepping away from the hedge fund right now. Um, and so I've been working on data bento, which is like helping to um, 
decrease the barrier to entry for our industry. So like giving data um, for a huge discounted price compared to other vendors. Um, and then also um, writing the book. <laughs> and, uh, and then we might, I'm working with a couple of friends on some initiatives to um, figure out if we want to do like a nonprofit to help um, basically underrepresented communities in this space and um, to help them rise up in terms of, you know, socioeconomically, um, but as well as just in terms of their overall well-being. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. yeah, definitely love the initiative. Yeah. It's stuff like like what you're working on has also affected mm-hmm. my life as, life as well. You know, for me, for the reason why I got into math and science and got the resources I need was there, uh, there's a nonprofit called Hane, Hane, Hane Escalante in L.A., Mm-hmm. Uh, get back to lower income students who want to specialize in math and sciences and it's also founded by I forgot some sort of like tech founder you know in the past so it stories like this you may not see the fruits of your labor immediately mm-hmm. but you know, mm-hmm. it does work and then I wish like I can meet the person that helped me like 20 25 years ago yep you know that helped me get to the place I am today so yeah. your work is is definitely impactful very positive and I'd like to see how your, your legacy continues to evolve <laughs> thank you and you guys too this is um it's just been such a pleasure to be a part of the asian hustle network and uh looking forward to seeing all the other awesome things that you guys are um, planning on doing <laughs> thank you close it off? yeah um so i do have one more question um i would love to learn from christina you know what is one advice you can give to an aspiring entrepreneur who is trying to enter into the field of hedge funds or, you know, fintech? Ooh, wow. <laughs> um, I guess the, there's a couple of pieces of advice that got, that made me start, take the leap basically out of a position of having no money and no connections or credibility. Um, <laughs> so one was kind of this quote, like you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, that's so true. And you, I looked around my internship desk at these people who are being kind of abusive and crazy and, uh, you know, making me grab coffee. And I'm like, do I want to be the average of these people? Um, you know, maybe not. Right. Uh, and I realized like I wanted to create those five people around me and to kind of have control over, you know, the type of person who I want to become like. And so, so that really inspired me as well. And then another one was like imagining you're like a hundred years old, you're in your deathbed and you're reflecting back on your, the timeline of your life. Right. And thinking about like, what would you want that timeline to look like at every point, every step of the way and realizing for me, like, you know, what I feel happy working at, uh, I don't know, a large bank for 40 years. Um, personally, no, but that's just my answer. Again, like if, you know, it's okay if your answer is I want to do that, or my, maybe your answer is I want to be a mom for, you know, my life, but that's great. Like there's nothing wrong with any path you take, but mm-hmm. just for me as an exercise personally, I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, I would like to be an entrepreneur. I would like to do this. And, and it's never too late to kind of start that now. Um, you know, when it doesn't matter, you know, I think there's never really a time to be ready <laughs> to be honest, to start something. People always imagine I'll be ready later. Like once I have, you know, I need like this much money in my bank or I need to have, you know, um, be at a stable place in my life or be in this city or whatever it is. But you realize at some point, like, you know, that's you're probably either never going to happen <laughs> or, you know, life is full of so many surprises and detours like coronavirus. Now, like uh-oh, my plan, everyone's plans have been derailed. <laughs> so then you realize like, well, there's just no better time to start it than just trying to start it. And then, going from there, going for it. And, um, you know, and if people ever need advice from me, you know, welcome to contact me. But um, I, I remember getting a lot of pushback from people, like a lot of older people who started hedge funds. They're like the old folks in Boston. They're like, oh, you know, get an MBA first, get a PhD, you know, get some, get some years of experience. And I'm like, that's great. You know, if you can do that and afford that. But um, for me, I was, I was, too poor and too desperate. <laughs> so I just started. And also because I was known as a girl who threw up on her boss already. So I had this bad <laughs> reputation on Wall Street. So I was like, okay, well, I might as well start it now. Um, and so, you know, there's really no right time. It's just whatever you think is right. And so if you need someone to just tell you, just go for it, then just go for it. <laughs> you know, um, I can be that person to, to tell someone yeah. just, just go for it. And I also like nobody very really like few people I know tell me oh Christine I totally regret starting a company (laughs) you know I totally regret becoming an entrepreneur or starting this company right like that you rarely hear that because even if your company fails you find so many opportunities after and sometimes it's 
it's the third, you know, it's the third times the charm or whatever, right? Your third company <laughs> succeeds. You just never know. So um, I absolutely, I just say, just go for it and, um, you know, have faith in yourself if you want to start a company or if you want to go into a new field or find another job, whatever it is, you know, just have faith in yourself that you can do this and, and um, that things will be okay in the end. And um, that's all that really matters. That's amazing. That's very sound advice. Thank you so much, Christina. Um, so for our listeners, how can they learn more about you? And when can we know more about your book? <laughs> so um, I have LinkedIn. Um, I'm just Christina Chi on LinkedIn. Um, so you guys are welcome to add me there. Um, or uh, what else is there? I do have a Twitter as well. I'm kind of obnoxious on Twitter, but <laughs> you know, to, to follow me on Twitter. Um, and then in terms of my book, um, it's scheduled to be published around December of this year, actually. So um, I will definitely try to make an announcement when it, the time comes closer to that. Um, I hope you guys will enjoy the book. It talks about some of those experiences I mentioned, the modern day slaves, you know, the Jeffrey Epstein's of the world. And um, what's scary is that these are true stories that happened. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to kind of tell people what it's like to um, make it to the top in finance and who I'm working for at the end of the day, which is um, kind of scary. So I uh, just wanted to kind of tell that experience into the open. And um, if anyone's considering a career in finance or is already in, or, or just wants to learn about the industry, <laughs> um, I'm hoping that this will be a really interesting guide for folks out there. So uh, yeah, I'll definitely let you guys know in the group as well and make an announcement um, when it when it's actually published on Amazon and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be great. Definitely be there to amplify your voice yes. and support you along the way. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Christina. It was wonderful hearing your story. Um, I'm sure the viewers and the listeners would think the same, um, but it was great interviewing you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you both. It's been a pleasure um, to be featured on this podcast, and uh, I am looking forward to everything you guys will be doing in the future. <laughs> so, thank you. Thank you. Hey, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.